our passage for this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 through 29. Remembering that this is God's inerrant, infallible word that we are about to read. It tells us this. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. That is the word of God. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him for his help. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we open your word this morning and walk through these passages, we are in need, Lord. We are in need of your spirit to help us, to instruct us, to eliminate these truths in our heart. Lord, I pray that through the walking through of your word, Lord, that you would help each of us individually, exactly where we are at in our lives, and also bless us collectively, Lord, as a church, as your body of Christ, that you would show us what we would have do to follow your instruction. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to share this word, Lord. I ask that uh, all that we say and do this morning, Lord, would bring glory and honor to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we reach the end of Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul has laid out the foundation of Christ's preeminence in all things and that he is head of the church. He has reminded the Colossian believers of what Christ has done to gather them out of the world and unite them through the blood of his cross. He has now turned to the subject of his, of his ministry to the church which has been the focus of our last several messages here, last several Sundays. And among the things we've learned are that we have seen that a, to be a minister is to be a servant in the service of Christ. And in that sense, we are all ministers. We are all servants called to, to, to minister the gospel of Christ. We have learned that through the suffering of the minister is done for the sake of Christ. And through that suffering, the church grows despite the opposition and despite the suffering. And that the minister also grows in that time. And we have seen that we are to be good stewards of the work of the gifts that God has given us and use them for his church and for service to the Lord. In today's passage, Paul will detail the purpose and the work of the ministry and what is required of the leaders of the church and of the congregation. We will be examining the goal of a faithful minister. And so we talk about goals. You know, one of the things that comes to my mind often, that especially you know, as the, the year comes to an end, are New Year's resolutions, right? And hard to believe, but they're going to be upon us before we know it, despite how hot it is outside. But in a few short months, we'll be making, some of us will be making goals. And the thing about goals is that to be successful, goals need to have deliberate planning, and they need direction. They require a clear understanding of the purpose and of the desired outcome. And so, regarding the direction, the great baseball philosopher and Hall of Fame catcher Yogi Berra once said this, and there really was a person for the younger generation, there was a guy named Yogi Berra, and 
He had a lot of sayings. This is where we got our, our saying, it ain't over till it's over. Or a nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. And it's like, was it ever worth a dime? But I get the idea. They struggle with inflation just like we do. But he said this about direction. He says, if you don't know where you're going, you'll end up somewhere else. And so let that wisdom sink in for a second. If you don't know where you're going, you'll end up somewhere else. Such is the case in ministry. In these passages, Paul is describing the goal of a faithful ministry and the goal of every minister or servant of the gospel. It is the purpose for, whom, for those whom God calls as elders or pastors, for those, for those whom he calls as deacons or teachers, but also extends to parents, grandparents, and sons and daughters. We have all been ordained by God to fulfill a great commission, to proclaim the gospel, make disciples, and mature them in a the knowledge of his truth. So as we walk through these passages this morning, we're going to see four key characteristics that should be the foundation for every ministry of the gospel of Christ. Number one, we will learn about the subject of the ministry. We're going to see that in verse 27. What is the subject? What is the focus of the ministry? What should it be? Second, we will understand the work of the ministry in the first half of verse 28. What work is going to be required to achieve this goal? Scripture tells us. Third, we will identify the goal of the ministry. Again, what is all this work leading up to? What is the goal of the ministry? We'll see that in the second half of verse 28. And finally, in verse 29, we will see where we find the strength of the ministry. What sustains the ministry? What powers it? What keeps it going to achieve this goal? We'll close our time by examining how these, how this, how these passages challenge and encourage us individually and as a church in our roles as ministers of the gospel of Christ. And so let's begin with our walk through the passage, beginning in verse 27, the subject of the ministry. Paul writes, To them God has chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. To them... Well, who are them? Right? Who's, talk, who's Paul talking about? So in context, as we've been reading, Paul is continuing this message about the church and to the church. To those whom God, whom God has called out of the world and chosen to redeem in Christ. It is the saints to whom God has revealed the mystery of the gospel. And it is God who chose to make it known. This mystery was not uncovered by man, not through uh, reasoning, through superior transcendent knowledge. Instead, it is our Father in heaven who has chose to reveal the glorious mystery of the gospel. In pagan religions of Rome, secret insights were given to a select few, often for a price. Today, people still pay the card readers to give them insights to the future. They still subscribe to the late night spiritual mediums to help them in search of answers. But for all the searching of men in the pursuit of mystical secret knowledge by philosophers has only led men to deny Christ as the Son of God. It is God who reveals the mystery of the gospel. And so what has he revealed? 
Paul writes, how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. The mystery is great news for the Gentiles who are blessed by the merciful grace of God who saves them to his eternal glory. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 says this, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And so for the Gentiles, this mystery of the gospel is that they are no longer aliens or foreigners, but they are part of the family, part of the kingdom of God. This mystery was alluded to in the Old Testament in types and shadows, through the kings, through the priests, through the prophets, through the system of sacrifices. But now, in the fullness of time, God has chosen to reveal this mystery through the person and work of his son. And Paul speaks of the riches, and he uses this word often to describe something of great value or something that overflows. As we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, he says this, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The immeasurable riches of the grace and kindness of God to his people through Christ. But we must remember that these are not just temporary material riches, but these are eternal riches. And so what is the mystery? Paul continues. He says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is that God would reside in his people, in the person of the Holy Spirit, uniting Gentiles and Jews through Christ, that all who call upon the name of the Lord would be saved, that salvation would not be the sole possession of Israel, but people from all nations would be adopted into God's kingdom. And God made this promise to Abram, that all nations of the earth would be blessed through his offspring, of which would come the Messiah. As we read in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God tells Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To the people of Jerusalem and the priests and religious leaders, the mystery of Christ was in their sacred scriptures as foretold by the prophets, even as they did not fully comprehend. Consider the words of Zechariah in chapter 9, verse 9. He wrote this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus would be welcomed into Jerusalem as a king, would be rejected and crucified on a cross days later. The mystery of Christ is this, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. He, wrote, he writes this, reiterating what we have learned. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, 
and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Christ has brought salvation, inheritance, and the indwelling spirit of God to all who call upon his name in faith. And this is the mystery of the gospel. But he says that they are fellow heirs. Heirs signifies inheritance. What have they inherited? Through Christ's atoning work on the cross, they have been redeemed and now share in the eternal hope of life in the presence of the Holy God. Through this mystery, we have been pulled out of darkness and the domain of darkness and now can live in the sight of a holy God and in his presence and in his light. And all the glory belongs to Christ. Nothing that we've done, but only what God has done through Christ. The significance is this, for as Paul writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He speaks of his transformed life in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The subject of the faithful minister must be and can only be Christ and him crucified. They must present the full counsel of Christ's life, death, and resurrection as the Lamb of God. Anything less is a false gospel. It is a message that can only lead to eternal destruction. And so, he must be the subject of the ministry. Charles Spurgeon said this about the mystery. He said, blessed and happy are they to whom the Lord has laid open the divine secret, which prophets and kings could not discover, even which angels desired to look into. Such is the blessing that we have, brothers and sisters through God's word and the, the, the mystery that has been revealed to us through Christ and through the Spirit. And so if Christ is the subject of his ministry, then what is the work of the minister or the servant of the gospel? As we continue in verse 28, we read this. Paul writes, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Him we proclaim. This word proclaim, it's an active verb. It means to declare openly, to preach, to laud, to celebrate. This is the work of the faithful minister, to proclaim the Christ of the Bible. Not stopping just at salvation, but continually to point believers to Christ as the source of all wisdom and truth. And reminding them of their ever-present sin and their continued need to be conformed to his image. The continual message that should be preached from the pulpit. Not resting on what Christ has done or resting on our laurels, but understanding our need for our continual sanctification. This is the work of the minister. Jesus is the center of the ministry, and he should be the center of the ministry. All efforts should lead to proclaiming and sharing the gospel for his glory. He is not just a figurehead. But the church is organized and operates according 
to his instruction as revealed in scripture and by the apostles. So he is the very center and the church operates according to his direction. So we, we proclaim that Jesus is God made flesh, born of a virgin and who lived a sinless life, perfectly fulfilling the law and who offered himself as the only perfect sacrifice to atone for the sins of his people. This is the gospel. This is the gospel message. This is, there's more, as we learn in sanctification, there's more for us to learn, but this is the, the, the core gospel message of what Christ has done for his people. And this is the work of the faithful minister, to proclaim the riches of the glory of Christ. But not just proclaiming. Paul writes, warning everyone. Ministry must not just proclaim the good news, but it must warn of man's natural unregenerate, unregenerate standing before a holy, just God. That all have sinned and fallen short of his standard of perfection. And that, and that those who reject Christ live under his divine wrath and are destined for eternal destruction. They will be consumed by God. So that part of the message of the gospel is not the part that attracts a lot of people. It doesn't fill pews. It doesn't fill buildings. But it is the truth as revealed to us. And so the warning for the minister, what he, the warning that he must give is this, to those who are not, have not found themselves yet in Christ. It is a warning that they are like the lame man in Acts 3. They have empty hands and nothing to offer God on their behalf but their sin. They look for temporary blessings, but lack the understanding of their need for the eternal blessing of salvation. The warning to them is that they are like the Pharisee in Luke 18, who think that their good works will earn them justification before a holy God. Instead, they will be humbled by the unworthiness of their supposed righteousness, and they will be turned away on that last day. This is the warning that must be given. And for the saints, the warning is to be wary of false teachers who look to prey upon the weak, attack the church from the outside, and divide it from the inside. And so the work of the faithful minister is to proclaim, it is to warn, it is also to teach. Paul writes, teaching everyone with all wisdom. A ministry that only seeks to collect professions of faith without true discipleship is at best a social club. It does not mature the believer. We are called to make disciples, baptize believers, and teach them as they grow in the word. The ministry must be committed to teaching the word of God. Paul writes and instructs Timothy in 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he tells him this. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Sound or healthy words. Words that accord with sound doctrine. Give strength to the church and protect it against false teachings. The work of the faithful minister is one that must be guided by the word and the spirit of God. It takes godly wisdom 
to tend to the needs of those whom they shepherd. It takes godly wisdom to prepare for preaching and for teaching and for training. It takes godly wisdom in counseling and correcting brothers and sisters and saints. And it takes godly wisdom to train all in righteousness according to God's word. By God's providence, as I was preparing uh, this message this week, I was secondhand forwarded an email. And it was interesting because it contained a job posting for a youth ministry position here at a church in Victoria. And the, the church in question uh, belongs to a denomination that is, that is widely acknowledged to have drifted away from sound doctrine and sound teaching, teachings of the scriptures. I don't think there's any, any debating that. But what I found interesting, it was a two-page, uh, you know, uh, printout, bullet points, lots of words, used words like create programs and events to inspire, instill a sense of value, and formulate a strategic vision. And so these words in themselves are not, not evil. They, you know, all churches, all ministries have methods, have processes and programs. But what I found interesting as I read through this through this uh, job posting, is there was not a single mention of Christ or any scriptures within, within this job posting that would give the prospective candidate uh, a charge or an expectation of what the ministry should, should accomplish. That opened my eyes when I saw that. For all I could have known, it could have been the job for a community events coordinator. You know, it was very generic in that sense. So it's no wonder that this denomination is now somewhere else as they have lost track of, the, of their goal as given by scripture. In John Calvin's commentary on Colossians, he said this, he said, God has placed me in a lofty position as a public herald of his secret that the whole world without exception may learn from me. And this is the call of the minister to teach, to proclaim, to warn. And this brings us to the purpose. What is the purpose? What is the goal? Finishing verse 28, we read this. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. The purpose or goal of the minister or servant of the gospel is to deliver or to present those whom they have been entrusted as complete and equipped in their service to Christ. Like a seed that receives water and nourishment and is tended to by the gardener, the saints must be matured in order to produce the fruit that they were created for. John 15, 5 says this, I am divine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The ministry is a constant effort to teach, to guide, to correct, to discipline, and encourage the saints to seek the wisdom of the Lord in every aspect of their life. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 and 14 tells us this about our maturation process. It says, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, 
For those who have had their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish, distinguish good from evil. Discernment is not a mystical state, it's not a mystical understanding, but it comes from being trained and from practice. And this comes from studying the word of God and being challenged by the word of God and taught and trained by it. It is the purpose of every believer, minister, or servant to be conformed to the image of Christ. This is the purpose of the church, to mature believers from their basic understanding of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to the extent that has been revealed to us in Scripture. No more, no less. This sanctification is a lifelong journey. It's directed by the Lord. It's served by the minister who must rely on the power of Christ to persevere. And this brings us to verse 29, where he finds his strength. Paul writes, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. If any minister of the gospel suffered or endured more to proclaim the gospel and mature the saints, it was the Apostle Paul, as we have learned of the all the things that he endured, right? Imprisonments, shipwrecks, beatings, persecution. But he says, for this I toil, struggling. Other translations use words like contend, labor, or strive. The root word for toil is where we get the English word agonize. It's the same word used to describe Christ's intense prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest. It is also used to describe the agony of a contest, the idea of being contending in an arena or in a competition. It's not only a physical challenge that requires physical strength, it is a mental and an emotional challenge that drains you, and it is a spiritual battle, among all things, a battle of, of spirit. The minister is in constant competition with the distractions and false teachings of the world. Like sheep, the saints are prone to wander. And I hate to break it to you, but that's us, right? We, we're not, we're not the, 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 the choice pickings. We're not perfect. We struggle. We are stubborn. We're hard-headed, inconsistent, and we struggle with deep-rooted sin. And I say that in love because... I'm saying that to myself as well. And it's for this that the minister toils and agonizes. But as we see in Scripture, the struggles that Paul dealt with were not just physical attacks, but they were personal attacks as well. Everywhere he went, at every church that, that he, he planted to see that, his credentials as an apostle were questioned. His teachings were questioned why he had to write the epistles to correct these false teachings. And it's one thing for someone to take issue or disagree with your sermon or your interpretation of a passage or how you said something from the pulpit. Those come with the, with the territory. Those come with the job, right, of, of the, being a minister. But to be falsely accused and treated as, you have, as if you have dishonored the Lord when you have not, well, that is a deep wound for the minister. It's a deep wound for the church, and it divides and it seeks to attack the church from within. 
Pastor John MacArthur said this about enduring this type of struggle. That you have to embrace the suffering even though it hurts and it's hard and painful. You embrace it as God's way of humbling you. God's way of making you weak so that your strength is found only in him. I have found through the hardest times of being misrepresented, misunderstood, and falsely accused, that the Lord has worked the greatest works of grace in my own heart and shown his strength. But this is the reality for the servant of Christ. It's a minister who toils day and night, shepherding God's people. And it's a daily reminder that he does not do this by his own strength. He doesn't have the strength to do this, but Christ does have the strength. Paul writes, with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Paul knew what it was like to rely on the Lord during times of persecution and need. He knew that in his weakness, the power of Christ was always with him, sustaining him daily. As he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, he says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It is Christ that works within me, he writes. The strength of the ministry is founded on the omnipotence of Christ. We are weak. He is all-powerful. We waver in our faith. He is eternally faithful. We struggle in our purpose, but Christ will always accomplish the purpose of his Father and his purpose for our lives. And this is the continual work of the same Spirit who raised Christ from the grave. It sustains us, enables us, encourages us, guides us, comforts us, directs us, and works powerfully within us. There can be no genuine ministry of Christ without Christ as the cornerstone. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Acts 17.28, which our pastor has mentioned, is, is, is right here on this, on this uh, note as a constant reminder. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. He is the center of our lives, and he is our cornerstone. And so as we conclude, we must ask ourselves then, how these characteristics of a faithful minister relate to our own ministries as servants of Christ. As we've seen in preceding messages, none of us are called to be apostles, regardless of what anybody says. None of us are called to be apostles. And only a few are called to lead a church. But all are ministers in a very real sense. The reason is to be a minister is to be a servant in the service of another. For the Christian, Christ is our master. He is our good shepherd, and he is our perfect example. Ask any servant of Christ, and they will tell you it is difficult work, whether in the church or in our own families, as we minister within our families. Paul wrote often of the anxiety he felt for the churches, the, the, this uh, constant concern and care for them and love that he had for them and the struggles that they were going through. Well, the minister has anxiety as well. That anxiety comes from every marriage that is struggling, either within the church or within our families. Every health crisis, 
or member dealing with a loss. Every conflict that must be mediated between saints or between family members. And the physical toil of balancing ministry and life and work and having to earn a living and do all the things that we need to do while still proclaiming the gospel of Christ. And so the challenge is for us to keep Christ at the center of it all, at the center of our families, at the center of our lives. Our goal is to follow Christ's instruction in guiding those that he has entrusted to us to maturity in the faith, preparing them to stand on their own, grow, and proclaim Christ to the next generation. We should expect that it's going to be hard work. We will toil, and we will struggle, and we will strive and agonize. For the shepherd who leads the flock, for the husband who's leads, who leads his wife, for the parents who lead their children and their families, but also for the son or daughter who ministers to their parents. And so it is a challenge. But church, there's encouragement from this passage. And that is that we are in the service of one who will not abandon us, nor will he forsake us. And he has equipped us for this work. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 tells us this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We have been prepared, church. And he will work powerfully to give us strength, encouragement, and guidance. He renews the strength of the, of the, of the faint and weary who wait upon his name. That is his promise. Paul endured not because he was superhuman, but because of the supernatural work of the Spirit that lived within him. By grace and through faith in Christ. And so if you're struggling in your area of ministry, let me encourage you, by God's word, to not abandon it, but wait upon the Lord and ask him to work within you. I began this message with a quote about our need for our direction and destination. I leave you with the instruction of our Savior. Thomas the Apostle was in John chapter 14, verses 5 and 6, he said this, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Church, we need to proclaim Christ and be conformed to his image. And we will be found complete on that day when we see him face to face. And that is the work of the ministry. That is the goal of the minister. And it needs, it needs the strength of the Lord. And so if you're struggling, I pray that God's word encourages you. And if your ministry or your servant to the Christ is not where it needs to be, then I pray that God's word challenges you to seek him as the center of your ministry and of your life. Let us pray.